The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. If you look up the word great in the dictionary, I have to stop there. What am I saying? It's 2018. Let me start over. If you Google the word great on your laptop, you will find words like these in the definition. Superior, impressive, remarkable, exceptional, outstanding, important, successful, and skilled. There's nothing surprising there, right? We all know what it means to be great. What is surprising, however, is the word that Jesus uses in the gospel reading for today to define what it means to be great. There is no list, just a single word, servant. And as a definition, it is a complete reversal of everything we thought we knew about greatness. It turns our understanding on its head. Whoever wishes to be great among you, Jesus explained, must be your servant. You heard the gospel where Jesus said that just a moment ago, but I want to draw your attention to the verses immediately preceding our reading for some important context. So, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading at verse 32. Again, that's two verses before our reading starts. You can find that on page 922 in your pew Bible. It reads like this. They, and here we're referring to the disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They, again, we're referring to the disciples, were amazed, and those who followed, note, there was a crowd, and they were afraid. Now I'm going to stop there for just a moment and invite you to visualize this. So there's Jesus walking along the road to Jerusalem. He's followed by the disciples, who in turn are followed by this crowd. 
And it is here that it's worth noting that great contrast in emotion, depending on how close you were to Jesus. You were either amazed, like the disciples, or you were afraid, like the crowd. Continuing, I'm still in verse 32. Jesus took the 12 aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise again. This is the last and importantly, the most detailed of the passion predictions. On three different occasions, Jesus spoke openly to his disciples about the coming betrayal, suffering, and death that he would face in Jerusalem. Frankly, I don't know which is more astonishing about the story before us today. The fact that the disciples actually continued to follow Jesus even after all of his talk of suffering and death, or the fact that James and John, upon hearing this now for the third time, came forward and said to Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Their request, and I am being generous here calling it a request, their request is cringeworthy. It feels embarrassingly out of place, poorly timed, inappropriate, self-serving, and completely insensitive. For goodness sake, Jesus had just told them that he was going to be killed, and the only thing they had to say to him was, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And what they wanted was no small thing. It was a big ask, a really big ask. They wanted to secure places of honor for themselves, one at the right hand of Jesus and the other at his left. (laughs) Why Jesus doesn't bang his head against the wall and cry out, have you not been listening to me at all, is a mystery to me. It must have been so frustrating knowing that his listeners completely and repeatedly missed the point After the first prediction, Peter rebuked him. After the second, the disciples argued among themselves about who among them was the greatest. And now this. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. But instead of frustration, Jesus showed remarkable patience explaining to James and John that the places of honor were not his to grant. Now, the story might have ended here, except that the other 10 disciples got wind of what James and John had done, what they had asked of Jesus, how they had gone behind their backs and excluded them, seeking to secure places for just themselves. And understandably, the 10 were angry, which is when Jesus redefined greatness again. He said, 
Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. His definition is both counterintuitive and countercultural. It goes against everything we thought we knew and understood about what it means to be great. Jesus throws out the concept of greatness embodied in that long list of words from the dictionary used at the beginning of this sermon, and along with it, our understanding of what power, prestige, position, and possessions get us. Jesus says greatness comes not from accomplishment, but from service. Not from what we have, but from what we give away. Not from who we are, but from whose we are. See, when it comes to greatness, Jesus says the place of honor is not at the right hand or the left hand of the king. It's not at the head of the table, but rather the place of honor is on bended knee with outstretched hands before your brother or sister in Christ. Oh, how we wrestle with this. Just like the disciples, we do not yet understand what greatness resides in the choice to be servant or what majesty abides in the choice to be least. Sometimes it's helpful to see an example. Henry Nouwen wrote a little book called In the Name of Jesus. While the subtitle reads Reflections on Christian Leadership, it could just as easily read Reflections on Greatness. Nouwen, a Catholic priest, professor, and writer, had reached the highest level of success and influence as a religious academic. He taught at the University of Notre Dame and then Yale and Harvard Divinity Schools, He said that after 25 years of priesthood, when everyone was telling him how well he was doing, how important his work was, how great he had become, something inside was telling him that his success was putting his soul in danger. So he walked away. He left academia. And he went to live in the La Arche Daybreak community with profoundly developmentally disabled adults. His experience there broke open his definitions of success and leadership and what it means to be great. He explained, and I quote, The first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking or disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with any of the many useful things I had done until then. Of course, since no one could read, the books he wrote were not impressive, and since no one went to school, the prestigious institutions at which he taught left no impact. Unable to rely on his achievements, his success, his accomplishments, Nowen discovered his truest and most authentic call to greatness. Loving relationships built upon service. He was, and again I quote, forced to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable open to receive and give love regardless 
of my accomplishments. Now and said that the great message we carry as followers of Christ is that God loves us, not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God created and redeemed us in love, and then he chose us to proclaim that same love to all of the world. That is precisely what Jesus is talking about in the gospel for today. Greatness is not measured by power or prestige, but rather by humbly and generously sharing the love of God, and that he called servanthood. To be sure, Nowen's experience is unique, and while it is true that every follower of Christ is called to greatness, not everyone is called to walk away from their life like he did. But know this. Every day, every single day, there are countless opportunities to respond to the needs of this world, to give yourself away for another, and to be the vessel through which the love of God is poured out. There was an article in Friday's paper, perhaps you saw it, about a newborn baby that spent its first night out of the hospital in a parking lot of a Walmart. In case you didn't see it, this is what happened. Hurricane Michael had forced the mother to deliver at a hospital 80 miles from where she and her family lived. When mom and baby were discharged, the family drove home to find that the hurricane had rendered it unlivable. Unable to find a hotel, low on gas, and afraid to drive at night with a curfew in place, they drove to a Walmart parking lot because they knew the store had a reputation for allowing travelers to spend the night. Reads a little bit like another newborn we know, right? <laughs> for whom there was no place to lay his head. But the story doesn't end here. Now, I don't know why the journalist waited until the very second to the last sentence of this article to write this, because it really is the most beautiful part of the story. But that sentence reads, there, in the Walmart parking lot, a security guard helped secure a hotel room for them with water and power. That is what greatness looks like extending yourself for another. I mean, do you see? Some of the greatest acts of loving service don't turn into books and don't get written up in the headlines, but those loving deeds performed by the unnamed are remembered forever by the recipients. And that's enough. As a child of God, Every single one of you is called to greatness, and you don't need to be great by the world's standards in order to respond to that call. All you need to know is the love of Jesus and what God has done for you in Christ. I close with this quote from Nowen's book. We are a sinful, broken, and vulnerable people who need as much care as anyone we care for. The mystery of ministry 
is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.